0: if Christology is truly a tenet of faith and not history, which is not to say it's not historical, but it is not a tenet of history. That's what German liberalism did. Why do we believe in the historical Christ? His answer was because the present Christ testifies to himself in the scriptures and in the church. And therefore, we do reflect on the historical Christ, but methodologically, if you start with the historical Christ, then there's always the danger that you're actually doing history and not theology informed by faith.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Pastor Theologian Show. Today we have part two of our conversation with CPT fellow Joel Lawrence on the life of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. If you didn't listen to part one, I encourage you to go back and check that out. It's the episode immediately previous to this one. But without further ado, let's get right back into our conversation with Joel.
2: So, Joel, I think a a lot of us in the evangelical world appreciate Bonhoeffer for for the devotional things, but also because of the political philosophy and activism, that is connected to what you're saying, isn't it? A a more uh, embodied, earthy, gritty view of reality and of life. It is. is. That leads you into being engaged with, concerned with political
0: reality the life of the world around us is that you. right yeah and very much as lutheran theology leads in that direction lay that out for us uh, so the lutheran um the lutheran theology of the two kingdoms mm-hmm. that god rules the world through the way that luther talks about it rules the world through the the church with his right hand and the state with his left hand that that the state is a part of the outworking of god's plan and so we ought to be concerned about about the state. Now, I think Bonhoeffer also starts to realize the danger of that that emerged in the 1930s is that that can become too distinct and you have two different spheres and the church is about the church sphere and the state is about the state sphere. And one of the reasons Bonhoeffer believes the church didn't do its job in the 1930s was because the Lutheran theological inheritance didn't give it a category for understanding what happens when a madman like Hitler becomes the head of the state. How do we interact with that as the church? And in the German way of thinking, the only way that you can, or or the way that often it was, it was understood was Romans 13. Governments Mm -hmm. are established by God. Hitler, therefore is who God wants servant is God's servant. And so there's some reflection there that, that, um, I think he had to do, and the German tradition had to do, around what do we mean by church and state in Romans thirteen, yeah. and what is the relationship between these spheres, and how do they play out? But, but that idea of that God is working through these two different spheres is is very much a part of the the earthiness of Bonhoeffer
2: and Bonhoeffer. Um is relevant
0: uh, to you I assume to
2: to us uh, at the cpt Center for Pastor theologians um, because he is a pastor theologian and embodies that vision so well in what ways has he been a model for you Joel, and in
0: what ways is yeah. he can he be a model for for all of us I think as a w- pastor one of the things when when Bonhoeffer, even in his teaching in the in the classroom in berlin he, he was he was what was called a, a, a private dozent. a he wasn 't on the on the faculty but he was kind of an affiliated lecturer. And with that, you you offer a course, and if one person shows up, then you get the fee of that one person, and and that's that's all you get. So he's not drawing a salary. When he first started lecturing, he had only a handful of people show up, but it didn't take very long before the lecture auditorium was was full. And students who were in those classes reflect on how different he yeah, was. Yeah, wh- what did they say was different? They said, um, it, it's in, in the documentary from 2004. Mm-hmm. This is by Martin Dobblemeyer. It's called Bonhoeffer. He interviews a student. Oh. And she said Bonhoeffer, she said he wasn't like the Greek professors and the theology professors. It was very dry. For him, he was saying, God is here today. Mm. And God is speaking to us. And God is active in our lives. And that captured people. And I think it was that he he didn't, do kind of the german critical objective approach yeah. to theology he did a very faith filled you don't check your faith in order to do yes. objective theological reflection yes. theological reflection is a is a component of and is vital to faith mm. and so i think he had a view of what doing theology is that was just very different than than the typical german Enlightenment theological tradition of the time. Mm-hmm. Then when he preached, people were captured by the vitality of his preaching, not the showiness of his preaching. Yes. He wasn't a showy preacher. But he believes there were things. Life. This is he reality things. he's there, talking There is about. life here. Yes. And I think part of that was his understanding of what Bart was doing with word and spirit okay. and what what God does. As and God he interacted with Bart a bit very much, very much. Personally, they got, they, they knew each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, he read Bart's theology and, and was deeply impacted by it. And I think particularly on that idea of revelation and, and that God uses his word to reveal and, and therefore, you know, in Bart's theology, preaching is an event yes. of God's self-giving. And that, that came into divine into presence Bonhoeffer. through word, divine presence through word, right? Mm. The, the threefold form of the word of God in yeah. Bart mm-hmm. is Christ, the scriptures, and preaching. Mm. That these are involved together in the work of God to communicate himself to people. And so Bonhoeffer with this rich theological notion, I think, understands what needs to happen in this congregation is that God needs to speak God mm. needs to uh show up and appear and and do his work in these people's lives and and he did that in a variety of contexts he one of the things i appreciate about bonhoeffer is with all of his academic uh uh rigor and his his incredible mind he he taught kids in the uh, liturgy and in the creeds, he he worked kids through these things. And, he is as places. remarkable
2: as his reputation and legend he presents him to be. Is. Is, this, is, this? Yeah.
0: is that right? I, I, yeah, I think so. And I think I think, but he's also he's also very human, yes. right? And so there's the kind there's of the, the genius. There's of, the problem yeah. of hagiography that with Bonhoeffer, yes, okay. and I think yeah. some of that part of the the new interest in Bonhoeffer now. There's a new generation of Bonhoeffer scholars who are not attacking Bonhoeffer, but they're also not kind of... This guy behavioral. has clay, clay feet, though, Exactly. Right? He's, not a, he's exactly. not a deity. And so that's, I think, very important yeah. to bringing that humanity out. But... Um, but he did he did ministry in just fascinating places and was willing to go into these places to do ministry. One of the places where he did work with kids was in the hardest, poorest district of berlin Incredible. and and he had gone in there the the person prior to him had literally died of a heart attack in trying to train these kids and Bonhoeffer came in there and within a week or two, he had them uh eating out of his hand. he was telling them stories from the scripture and oh, there were more kids coming powerful. and so he he and I think it's it's a, a testament to his understanding of the the activity of God Yeah. and that that's what we rely upon. We don't rely upon our own insight. We don't rely upon our theological chops. Mm. We rely upon the presence of
1: God to do God's Amen. work.
2: Amen.
1: And that's just to underscore just in my own exposure to Bonhoeffer, which is admittedly, admittedly limited, but something that I was struck by is the breadth of kind of the the mode in which he writes. You're oftentimes, you're first exposed to Bonhoeffer in Cost of Discipleship. And I remember reading that when I was like 18 or something like that. And then seven years later in grad school reading, I, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but um, Christology lectures or something like that and being like, who is this guy? Right. What's going on here? I thought this was just some kind of like devotional, yeah. like yeah. warm my heart when I'm 17 kind of guy. And of course, there's a lot of layers to even the cost of discipleship that you can read it kind of devotionally, but then there's a lot of undergirding it as well. But a, just, just a yeah, the,
0: he, he can, he can, he is one of those people who can go uh, uh, in a variety of different places with how he communicates. He has the mind. Yes. Um, but the ability to, to communicate it, you know, in, in a sense, I think the con- the person we have today who does this best is NT Wright. Mm. NT Wright, he writes these thick, thick theology books, but then he also summarizes them in popular level books. Yeah, but they're not they're not watered down, no. but they're accessible. And yeah. and I think there's just certain people in the life That's of a the real church skill, who can, who can yeah. do that. And, and he was one of those folks. Yeah. We're going to need to have you back to talk about theological education. That would be fun, but give us, it, yeah.
2: just give us a little bit on Finkenwald that season yeah. Yeah. and pastoral formation, theological education, how Bonhoeffer approached that. Our friend Paul House has written a book Bonhoeffer's vision of yeah. seminary yeah. that you're of course familiar with. Great but, book. But give us give us a, a thought or two that you take
0: away from that for
2: our own. So what what Bonhoeffer to... did
0: there was um, when he had been pastoring in London before he went back to Germany, he did a tour of of monasteries in England, um, both Catholic monasteries and Anglican monasteries, and he took what he learned there and some of the practices he saw there, which which weren't a common part of the Lutheran oh. tradition. He took those and he, he those helped him formulate a vision of pastoral training that he then implemented in in Finkenwalde in this in wow. this confessing church seminary. So there was a pattern to the day. Right? And one of the one of the things that was going on here is they were literally all living together in the same house. Yes. The ordinands that were coming were living in the same house. And so they had the the advantage of a, a deep learning community where they would get up, they would read scripture together, they would eat, they would uh, make their beds, they would study, they would, you know, there was a rhythm to the day. Um, and he brought confession into this, which is a, not a terribly Lutheran <laughs> thing to yes. do. And um, he didn't force people to do it, mm. but he, he, he modeled it. He himself confessed to Abraham Beitka was his confessor, wow. so he modeled it by doing it himself. And so I think he, he there were, and there were concerns in the broader church about what was going on here. It felt too Catholic to okay. a lot of the a lot of the, the upper ups in the confessing church. But Bonhoeffer was convinced that for what he saw coming, which was this World War II is going to happen by the mid 1930s. He's convinced that we're all headed back to war. And he wow. knows the challenge that that's going to be for pastors in the church. And I think he saw, we've got to do something different. A
2: substantive formation. A
0: substantive formation in order to place these people in the position where they can pastor and themselves stand through this journey, wow. um, and uh, many of those who were in in actually were killed in the war. Oh, is that right? On the uh, as as soldiers, they were drafted and and they were killed. But others had long long church careers afterwards Incredible. and attribute. Uh, Oftentimes, it was only for a few months that they were there because there were different groups rotating through, yeah. but they attribute what. That experience meant to them in their own formation as pastors. Yeah.
1: Hey everybody, just a quick note about our annual conference here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. This year's topic is Techne, a Christian vision of technology. And we will be hosting this conference in Chicago on October 14th to 16th, 2019. We have a lot of great speakers lined up, including Andy Crouch, Pastor Charlie Dates, Karen Swallow-Pryor, and a great lineup of pastors, scholars, academic theologians, and sociologists, as well as tech experts. It's going to be a great set of conversations, and I encourage you to go to our conference website, cptconference.com, to learn more and to register. All right, let's get right back into our conversation with Dr. Joel Lawrence on Diedrich Bonhoeffer.
2: What what has um, been most personally challenging to you about Bonhoeffer? Not intellectually yeah. necessarily, but but kind of personal challenge, either his example of his life, Joel, or an insight
0: that you've personally appropriated that... I think the... The what I, I would say what I had most appropriated or most deeply appreciated from Bonhoeffer is this focus on the presence mm. of Christ mm-hmm. in his Christology lectures. The way that they're structured, he begins with the present Christ and then goes to the historical Christ, yes. and then would have, but he never finished it, go to the eternal Christ, and that's not common in Christology structure. Usually you begin with you the historical flip it around, Christ. Yes. And you got to establish all the facts of the historical Christ. This guy Christ. Jesus actually exists. Right, right, and- right. And we can, yeah, and, and therefore, yes, we can then think about what it means for him to exist today in the church. He reverses that yes. and begins with the present Christ. And and in doing that, basically what he was saying is if if Christology is truly a tenet of faith and not history, which not to say it's not historical. Yes. But it is not a tenet of history. That's what German liberalism did. And it's not an an inference
2: of good historical critical methodologies.
0: No, no. It's why do we believe in the historical Christ? His answer was because the present Christ testifies to himself in the scriptures and in the church. And therefore, we do reflect on the historical Christ. Mm. But methodologically, if you start with the historical Christ, then there's always the danger that you're actually doing history and not theology and reflect informed on by the historical
2: faith. Christ according to Bonhoeffer as an act of as faith as an act of faith
0: because the present Christ faith is witnesses to himself exactly marvelous so marvelous i would wild. say i in my own spirituality yeah. that um, understanding of the presence of Christ and, and both as a theological methodology and as a part of my own mm. spiritual journey I, I think that's been most impactful for me is the the deepening of my own faith in the active present work of Christ today in in ways that I could theologically have told you before I encountered Bonhoeffer that Christ was alive and was present today. But the actual depth of my own faith in that hmm. has been very much impacted by Bonhoeffer. And, and those that
2: have listened to the previous podcast where you narrate your own personal story and how you wrestled with um, uh, the faith early on. I mean, I'm I'm just now seeing. Yeah, I've there's known a you well there. and for years, yeah. but there's a, there's a powerful connection there of Bonhoeffer uh, answering help help you help provide you a framework for thinking or for for answering and addressing a deep existential crisis that's part or aspect of your story of faith.
0: Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, in, in 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 many ways, I that's where his being a spiritual guide has yeah. impacted me and and helped me work through. Um, what's the core of my faith? What What is that bedrock of my faith?
2: For those of us that, are, that want, want some more guidance from Bonhoeffer, yeah. Joel, in just the minute that we have remaining on this podcast, where, where should we go? Kind of lay out for us
1: the... Bonhoeffer curriculum. Sure, or where,
2: where to where to start, where to go
1: with what to read, what to avoid. Maybe I read the first two chapters of Cost of Discipleship. Thought it was great. Didn't finish it.
0: What else? Yeah. Well, <laughs> finish it. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. No. Um. I, in Bonhoeffer's work, I, I as I mentioned earlier, one of my favorites of his. Uh, my favorite is Creation and Fall. And I. I and is I, that accessible for for normal folk? It, it's. Um, it might be a bit of a challenge. It might be yep. a bit of a stretch, but it's worth it's worth the work. Okay. It's worth the work, I would say. But a seminary educated um, person for sure you will have no problem. Yet. Yeah, that's fine. Um, in terms of kind of biographies, there's the the standard is the Eberhard Beitka, Bonhoeffer's best friend, and that's big. That's eight hundred pages, thousand the, pages, oh, thousand close pages. to a thousand. Is it pages. still worth going to? Um, it is. It, what I found. What year is that? That was uh, that was published in the. Gosh, probably the mid '80s. Okay. I think is when that came out. Um, but so it there's what's hard about it is Beitko is so close to Bonhoeffer <laughs> yeah. right. that if that's the first that you're really reading of him, you just there's you need context. Almost lost you in the get trees. Kind of, and exactly, the you get you're you're too close, and so where's that vista from above that orients? Yeah. So there's an, an another biography that's come out in the last couple years by Charles Marsh. It's called Strange Glory and Marsh is a Bonhoeffer scholar and an excellent writer and tells the story well. Um there's some some pieces in there that that I think are a bit concerning of what he what he writes on, but on the whole he's he's doing a he, he's he's written a very good Bonhoeffer yes. biography that's accessible but also in tune with the scholarship. And then the other one, of course, that many people know and probably many have read is Eric Metaxas's biography. And I would just say this about the Metaxas biography. Metaxas has, a, has an agenda. Mm-hmm. He's an excellent writer. He, he tells the story well. Yes, He doesn't particularly understand the theological, philosophical background okay. of all that's feeding into Bonhoeffer. Okay. Um, and he is wanting to make Bonhoeffer uh, into something like an American evangelical in ways that Bonhoeffer isn't. Mm. But Bonhoeffer's a
2: little more complicated than that. A little more complicated
0: right than that. But what I say to people is by all means read the Metaxas biography. But when you're done, don't think you know Bonhoeffer. Mm. You've got to do some more, you've got to do some more reading if you really want to dig into who he is. So if someone has only read the Metaxas biography, then there's a there's a bent there that that isn't uh, fully accurate. To paint the full picture of who Bonhoeffer is, and that's where I would supplement it with a Charles Marsh, *The Strange Glory*. Um, if someone is is really wants to dig in to the nitty gritty, that the Eberhard Baitka biography is it certainly returns the work. Anything else from Bonhoeffer's own corpus that you would highly recommend? Um, we read to get you know. I think we've one? mentioned the ones. I would say uh, you know the, the his early works and Communio* and *Act in Being*. Those are those are heady. A little heady theological, philosophical works um, of those two, Sanctorum Communio is the more accessible, but those are pretty tough. But the Christology lecture, uh, Creation of Fall, the Christology lectures, Cost of Discipleship and um, and Life Together. And, and then his other kind of but what he saw as his magnum opus that he never finished was was Ethics. Oh. And the challenge with Ethics is because he never finished it, it's a series of manuscripts that aren't really put together as mm. a book mm-hmm. and so those are kind of nice in, in a sense you can read them as standalone essays because uh they they don't really there's not a, th- a thread mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you can really discern but for those interested in such a thing the the his his work on the ethics is is i mean it's very profound it's he's challenging a lot of the western categories of ethics in ways that are deeply christological and that's and important
1: and a okay. quick question about the the uh, letters from prison. Yeah, is that more of a fun- it Like, is there more historical curiosity there than theological content? Would you say, or yeah, is I, it a I, mix?
0: I would say um, that there is theological content there for sure. Um, you know, it is fascinating to see him reflecting as he's in prison
2: mm-hmm.
0: on what Christianity after the war mm. should look like. I think there's things out of that that are very important for us to take. There are there are other things that were the moment in the moment of that time. You know, as you're in prison, um, reflecting on the future, some things that he just he, he wasn't right about what was next. But there, it's certainly worth reading, particularly the theological letters. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of letters are he's asking for for cigarettes and candy and stuff like that <laughs> for people to bring to him. So you don't have to read all of it, um, but. Those Speaking of not slotting into the evangelical exa- American thing. Well, that is true. I thought, I would, cigarettes, thought I would drop that in there. <laughs> so, And he had a particular kind, and he yeah. got, got kind of hacked off when he couldn't get them. So. <laughs> is on that a, note, yeah.
2: Yeah. this has been a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Glad to do it. Thank you. Good to have you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlacher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.